So, Mark. Yes. I want you to travel back in time. Oh, no. Are we talking about Kate and Leopold again? Oh, absolutely not. We need our elevators. <laughs> Thank God. I love elevators. Time travel <laughs> eliminates elevators. Not the shaft, just the elevator. God, I love elevators. I want you to travel back in time 11 years to 2008. What a year. What a year. Do you have any big, striking 2008 memories? Well, I mean, besides the whole financial crisis and also Obama's election. Yeah. That is the year I moved to Singapore, which means that thankfully it's the year that I got a school uniform, which is something I am very pro. School uniforms require so little thought in the morning. Everyone dresses in the same ugly clothing, so no one looks any prettier or uglier in the uniform. And they make life just so much easier. The elimination of choice is what you're all about. (laughs) Only in terms of clothing worn to high school. (laughs) I think a big driver of it is also looking back. At the beginning of 2008, when I was still in middle school, I see pictures and I am wearing such wonderful articles of clothing as solid color polos and madras shorts with tevas on as shoes (laughs) because I lived in Georgia and that's what everyone wore. What was your go-to solid color polo? Uh, The one I remember most is bright yellow. Naturally. Naturally. And then I got a school uniform, which meant pictures of me later are only in the white polo blue shorts uniform of the Singapore American school. (laughs) As I've been thinking about it, like the stuff that's coming to my head first for 2008, besides like the Obama of it all, is big movies because my brain is broken. So I'm thinking about how like we talked about that's the summer of Iron Man and the Dark Knight. And I remember I may have told this on our Iron Man episode sitting in the movie theater on opening weekend with a bunch of my friends. We were like freshmen in high school who had taken a bus to get out to the movie theater. And at the moment where there's the turn and we learned that Jeff Bridges is the big bad of the movie, my friend down the aisle goes, why are all the bald guys evil? It's true. Yeah. Once you start paying attention to it, the bald guy in so many... I feel like it's always in the Marvel movies, where it's always a bald, old, white guy who's the evil person. Okay, let's think about that. So we've got Jeff Bridges and the Ten Rings guy in Iron Man. Kingpin in... Daredevil. Into the Spider-Verse, too. Oh, that's true. Um, We've got Baron Strucker at the beginning of Age of Ultron. I guess Ultron is bald, too. He doesn't have any hair. Professor X is a inversion of this. Yeah, but we'll just say that's a Fox movie and put it to the side. (laughs) Now I'm going to think about this. Does Ronan have hair? I guess not. There are a lot of them that do have hair too, though. Thanos is bald. Black Panther. What's his name? Killmonger has hair. Killmonger has hair. Now I'm thinking through all of these. Red Skull, of course, is bald. Who's the villain in the first Thor? That's Loki. Loki. He's got hair. hair. But Malekith in Thor 2, no, he has hair too, I think. Because Loki is also the first Avenger, so still hair. Right, still hair. Great hair. So, I will say, with the amount that we have Oh, made, Corey Stoll is in Ant-Man. He's bald, which is a nice tie to what we're talking about this week, because that movie is co-written by Adam McKay. That is quite a segue that you have <laughs> leaped onto. It's true, but we can't move on yet, because your memories are uniform. Mine are related to, you know, the time I sat in a movie theater watching The Dark Knight, and in the... Pencil disappear scene. My friend literally buried her head between her legs like she was on the plane and chicken run. We've got to hear our guests' 2008 memories. All right. In 2008, I saw the Jonas Brothers on tour for the first time. And then I saw them again on tour a couple months ago. And it was wonderful. Much better this time around. Really? Why is that? Um, I just feel like the first time around, I knew like 
some of their songs. But I remember my my like one memory from that concert, which is really sad, is my one friend was really mad at me because I had to go to the bathroom. And so we missed when you look me in the eyes and she was really upset. No, no, no. It was a little bit longer. She was really mad. She was like, we didn't get to see it. And I was like, we could still hear the whole thing. And it was at an outdoor concert venue. So there was a big screen right by the bathroom. And I was like, we had lawn seats. We were just going to be seeing it from a screen anyway. Calm down. I would guess that they've also probably grown as performers in the past 11 years. Yeah, they definitely have. But the, the great thing about seeing them now is that everybody there, like, Different from other concerts I've been to, this time it felt like everybody there had been a fan of theirs for a long time. Well, that makes sense because they haven't been putting stuff out recently. Right, but it's like, you know, sometimes at concerts there's like people who get dragged along and everything. But this, it really felt like everybody around you was like actually a fan and excited about the music. And they played like throwbacks from their previous albums and everything and everybody was getting into it. Well... They would have to, because I assume they have not put out enough music to do a whole new show. Taylor Swift, for her 1989 tour, I heard, only played songs from 1989. That is true. I think St. Vincent only did Mass Seduction on the Mass Seduction World Tour. Yeah, it's possible. Some people just do the new album, which I think is dumb. I think so, too. Yeah, that's no fun. No, she started out with... It was great, because it was a long concert, so the first half was all the hits, and the second half was the full album. Oh, okay. That's kind of cool. And that meant there were no encores, which I am also a fan of, because I think the encore is kind of a weird It is thing, weird. Because now it's scripted. Right. So yeah, what's that the does point? make it weird. Anyway, speaking of Ant-Man. Speaking of Ant-Man, co-written by Adam, Adam McKay. Welcome to We Love the Love, a Hollywood romance podcast. I'm Mark, and I'm gay. And I'm Will, and I'm a ginger. This, of course, is an investigative podcast. We're delving deep into the secrets, the big questions, the urgent issues of our day, just like Obama did in 2008. He was dealing with the financial crisis, the war in Iraq. We're dealing with, does Hollywood romance actually make any sense? And are these people actually dateable or even likable? It doesn't matter if the romance is a main plot or a one-scene flirtation or a couple of different relationships that crop up occasionally. We'll dig in and we will see what is there. This week, of course, we are rejoined by our chief medical expert, my sister Mora. Hello. Just a disclaimer, there is nothing medical about this movie. Mm, I'm sure we'll find something. (laughs) Of course, this week we are discussing the 2008 hit comedy directed by Adam McKay, starring Will Ferrell and John C. Riley, Step Brothers, the movie that launched a thousand memes. I definitely saw this movie in theaters, and I remember it so clearly, and I, like, knew exactly what was happening, but I just found it so much funnier in 2008. I had never seen it until two days ago. Yeah. I I had also never seen it. Watching it in 2008... There was something, I don't even think it's just, like, I was the right age for this movie. Oh, yeah. This movie is made for adolescent boys. Yeah. And so there was definitely that element of it. But at the same time, I feel like there was just something very 2008 about this movie. Well, I think it's interesting that this is produced by Judd Apatow. Because this fits into that era of, like, the Apatow comedy. But instead of the ones that he was directing that usually starred Seth Rogen... You think about a movie like Knocked Up, where it's about Seth Rogen learning not to be a child. This movie goes hard in the other direction, and it's like, the worst thing that happens to them is the period in the middle of the movie where they stop being children. And it leans into the most aggressive childishness, stuff that Apatow wouldn't actually do in his own movies. No, because Apatow, in the end, I feel like... He's making rom-coms. Yeah, he's making rom-coms and believes that, like, in the end, the men need to grow up. 
Whereas in this, the point is that everyone should stay a full child forever. Yeah, I thought it was really weird when Robert was just like, it, it weirds me out that they're actually acting like responsible adults now. Like, we gotta change things. That's because he goes through, like, five different crises as a human over the course of the movie. Yeah. I watched this and I was like, okay, so I know this movie is bad. And I was watching it and I was questioning my judgment in 2008. But I will say there are still a couple scenes that make me laugh. There's a lot in this movie that works. I don't think it's a great film. No. But I didn't have a bad time watching it. No. And I mean, the car, the most famous scene today, I'd say, is probably still the car scene when Derek and Alice and their kids are driving singing oh, Sweet singing. Child of Mine. That's a good one. That scene actually still held up. That was funny. Because it does a really good job establishing all four characters and the almost car accident at the end is a really good sting for yeah. the comedy. See, when you said the car thing, I was thinking about just the sight gag early in the movie where we see that Brennan, played by Will Ferrell, rides in the back seat when his mom yes! drives around. Which is such a lovely touch that tells you, like, oh, the level of arrested development we are going for with these two guys is extreme. That one shot is a good way of establishing the level of what's happening. Yeah, he is acting like a literal child. So this is the third movie that Adam McKay directed. The previous two were first Anchorman, and then, of course, Talladega Nights, The Legend of... The Ballad, the ballad of, of, of Ricky, Ricky Bobby, Bobby, which also co-starred John C. Riley. All three of these starred Will Ferrell. McKay and Ferrell had gotten to know each other at Saturday Night Live, where McKay was a writer for like six or seven seasons. He did two seasons as head writer. We've talked about Ferrell's career before when we did Elf, his big title role after leaving that show. And Ferrell and McKay made all these movies together. They created Funnier Die in 2007 between Talladega Nights and Step Brothers. All of these movies are big hits. Anchorman makes $85 million on a $26 million budget. Talladega Nights makes $148 million. This one is between the two. It winds up making $100, like $100 million on the dot, which is impressive in its own right. It also opens in week two of The Dark Knight. So making that much money when The Dark Knight was just steamrolling everything is impressive. Right. That is definitely an accomplishment. And I feel like Talladega Nights, it does not surprise me that that was the biggest one. That was also the most expensive one, which also makes sense because you've yeah. got to do all the racing. Right, the racing, and that one has, like, Sasha Baron Cohen. Who's big at the time. Who's big, um, who plays his dad? It's someone big in that. It's, like, Bill, not Billy Bob Thornton, but someone of that caliber. It has some real stars. This one has people that are, you know, well-known, but no one that's, like, a huge star. Gary Cole played Gary Ricky's Cole. dad. I mean, there are some people who are prominent. We've got Richard Jenkins as right. John C. Riley's dad. Jenkins was Oscar-nominated the same year for The Visitor. <laughs> what a year. We've got Mary Steenburgen playing Will Ferrell's mom for the second time. Yep. Because she was, I guess, his stepmom in Elf in yeah. 2003. We also saw her recently as Ryan Reynolds' mom in The Proposal. I love Mary Steenburgen. She's great. She's great. She's always good. I don't know that I've ever seen her playing a character younger than, like, 50? I think that she got cast into the mom role too early for her age. That's probably true. But has thrived there, where she's been the mom to people that she is far too young to be the mom of. But she does the role well. She's got that great mom energy. Yeah, she has some really excellent mom voice, so... I guess they just kind of rolled with it. Like, she seems far too young to have a child as old as Will Ferrell in this. Yeah, because yeah, he's 40. And she looks, like, 45. Maybe, like, 50. Yeah. yeah. So, the idea for this movie comes after 
Farrell and McKay made Talladega Nights, they wanted to work with John C. Riley again, and they were just tossing around ideas, and they came up with the visual of the two actors in bunk beds, and just worked from there to build a movie around that idea. Which is kind of surprising to read, because the bunk beds do not play a prominent role in the movie. Yeah. They fall apart immediately. Yeah. But, but even the two beds a, next to each other, with them like yeah, the two each twins. laying on the side closer to the other one. And how neatly they tuck into the bed. Yeah. Right. I guess besides the bunk beds, it's just the visual gag of two 40-year-old men sharing twin beds in the same room. Like, I can see that. Yeah. And honestly, the fact that they did spin it to a whole movie and not just a funnier die sketch is surprising. Because that's basically the same level of idea as The Landlord, which is the first big funnier die sketch I saw. That was one of the early hits. Yeah. Yeah. So just taking one little idea, such as a baby swearing, and then turning it into a clip versus a full hour, 35 minute movie is impressive. I watched the extended cut, which is eight minutes longer. Oh, yeah, I think I did, too. I don't know what the difference is, because I <laughs> did either. not watch the well, original Well, I did ever. not watch the extended cut, so maybe we'll find out. Yeah, I assume the actual testicles are not in the short version. No, they are. They are? They are. I checked. <laughs> that one I checked. <laughs> what is the When that was part? in, I was like, man, I wonder what was in the non-rated version. <laughs> it is not that much worse. No, that's still the biggest thing. Okay. Yeah, that's a visual no one needed. Nope. Yeah, it works just as well if we don't see it. Yeah, yeah, just hearing about it works fine. So, obviously this movie has a big impact on the culture. There are a lot of memes that come out of it. The Catalina wine mixer is now an actual event that occurs every year. Is it really? Yes, it is. I do think that line... It's, it's a great phrase. It's the f***ing Catalina wine mixer <laughs> is drilled so far into my brain. It's a turn of phrase that works so well because it's clearly pretty darn boring yeah. as an event. But just at this, like helicopter leasing company is really into it. It's their event of the season. Well, it's just also funny because everybody always uses the full name of the event. Like, it's never just, oh, the wine mixer. Well, it's not Catal- any wine mixer. It's the Catalina wine mixer. <laughs> it's the f***ing Catalina wine mixer. I also really think that the gag of him being seen as a good singer by everyone, even <laughs> though we know that he is just fine. I'm sorry. His voice sounds like Fergie mixed with Jesus. <laughs> I think that's actually one of the better ideas of the movie, and that really does tie that scene together really well, where Will Ferrell knows he's just an okay singer. Sure. Yeah. We know he's just an okay singer, so seeing everyone act like he is transcendent on this overdramatic song is honestly pretty amusing. The other big meme, speaking of music, to come out of this movie is, of course, Boats and Hose. Ah, yes, which is much less exciting than yeah. I remembered. Yeah, it's also not long. No, it's... 20 seconds? Yeah. But of course, that becomes a major cultural touchstone among teenage boys in 2008. Oh, yeah. And I recently learned when I was doing research for the episode, I was like trying to figure out any interesting things about the legacy of this music video that they make for, what's their company? Prestige Worldwide? Which is basically Entertainment 720. It is Entertainment 720. (laughs) Because it has a similarly no business model. Yes. And in 2014, a Boats and Hose pack political action committee was registered in the state of texas supporting texas gop candidates oh god like greg abbott when he was running for governor yeah and other people in the state gop people found out and publicized it and the pack was quickly shut down oh i'm sure man and it was the kind of thing that like was independent and just giving money it wasn't affiliated with the state party right. or anything, yeah, but yeah. it was like that's the level to which this thing has suffused the culture. There was some report that after the Saints won the Super Bowl in 2010, they were going into the locker room going, it's the 
fucking Catalina wine mixer. <laughs> it's so bizarre how deeply this movie touched. It was huge. It was the movie in terms of references for the year. If you weren't quoting the Joker, you were quoting Step Brothers. I guess Anchorman is probably a similar level. Um, Stay Classy San Diego is still very much in tune with the culture. I guess it's just the way they write. They write good, pithy phrases like that. And the specificity of them tends to work really well. San Diego is funnier than if it was, like, New York. Right. They do a good job choosing places. Because Catalina just sounds funny, too. And I do love that... They didn't edit Catalina out of the background. I don't know if you heard about this, but they shot on the mainland because Adam McKay didn't like the look of Catalina as much. Uh So there are shots where you can see Catalina Island in the distance. And And they're clearly not there. And they left it in as a joke. So you actually saw the movie in 2008. So like, what are your feelings now versus then? This is about what I expected. I expected it to be homophobic and no real race issues but also That's literally white. no people of color in this movie except for the one couple that go to potentially buy the house oh yes with phil lamar yeah yeah so you know got the homophobia and some probably sexist jokes in it and i was expecting that i was expecting to not find it as funny it was more that the moments that landed actually did still land well that i was surprised by yeah there is still some charm to it Even if it is, like, it's not an all-time great comedy. It's, like, an alright double. I feel like it's, even though it's bad and we all know it's bad, it's kind of still an important cultural moment that needs to be memorialized in a way. You think so? I feel like it's not something that will ever be forgotten or should ever be forgotten because it is a good way of, like, showing what 2008 humor was like. I just thought it was stupid. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought it didn't portray women in a good way either. I feel like all the women in this movie are, like, crazy and unstable And all the comments that, like, anybody makes about women are all, like, sexual. I think that's a fair point. When you think about, like, the therapist, who I don't think is unstable. Yeah. But certainly is only ever treated as a romantic object. Right, and she seems like, you know, a professional therapist and everything. And then at the end, it's like she gives in to what the movie wants her to be, you know? That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah, it's an Adam McKay movie. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) He is not known for his depictions of women being very sensitive what so it's kind of it's kind of telling that i think the best female role in an adam mckay movie is amy adams in vice yes where she is a calculating villain right but obviously she's playing a real life calculating villain which does you know help i think the fact that these are real women does help that movie i mean i guess the only substantive female role in an Adam McKay movie I can think of is Christina Applegate's character in Anchorman. Who gets to be, like, righteously indignant at the way the movie treats her. Right. But, you know, in the end, it's still a romantic story between the two. Like, that is still the point of the movie. So that is where it ends. But I'd say she is the best treated of them, too. Because in Talladega Nights, you just have their wives, who are depicted as just very stereotypical Southern women. Also Amy Adams. Oh, yeah. I forgot she was in that. Yeah. That's early Amy Adams. Yeah. Amy Adams before she became Amy Adams is fascinating. It's an interesting career. She's had a very interesting life. So it's interesting the extent to which this is like an Adam McKay movie where like I had not seen this. And so watching it after watching a movie like Vice is interesting because like in Vice, McKay goes out of his way to be like, 
Here's what's going on with the Bush administration, and here's what America was paying attention to, you dummies. And one of the things that, like, flashes by the screen is a shot of Jeff Probst putting out someone's torch on Survivor. So, you know, Adam McKay, who was making Step Brothers in 2008, is telling us all we were stupid for uh, watching reality TV and not paying attention to the Bush administration because you can't do both of those things. But in the movie, Adam Scott brags about all the people that he's been hanging out with. And the list is Mark Cuban, Jeff Probst, Chris Daughtry, and Bobby Flay. I did think that was an entertaining group of people. But it's also like, we're meant to read in like, this is a group of dumb celebrities because they're all reality TV people. Right. And, you know, it does work. It does work. It's pretty funny. But it is true that Adam McKay clearly hates reality TV, who I would say there are several reality shows that are much higher forms of art than this movie. Oh, absolutely. So I feel like he does need to have a good long look in the mirror before really, you know, pulling that card again that he pulled in Vice. I'm on the record on this podcast of being very anti-Vice, and we don't need to go down that road. Yeah. So should we start talking about the romance of the movie? Yeah, I think so. We've got a lot to dig into. Yeah. Sounds good. Do we, though? I don't know. (laughs) I haven't read the points. All right. So, point one, uh, Nancy and Robert, they both are- This is Nancy, played by Mary Steenbergen. She's Will Ferrell's mom. And Robert, played by Richard Jenkins, who is John C. Riley's dad. But the most exciting new development is the external processor, which fits directly over the ear, which eliminates the need to put your face between those breasts. Yes, and so Robert is a doctor, and he is presenting at some sort of conference or meeting or something, and Nancy is attending this, and the two of them just lock eyes while he's giving this presentation, and he's so thrown off. I don't even remember what exactly he says, but he says something, like, about Mary Steenberger, like, in the middle of his presentation. Again. <laughs> yes, Nancy. He well, says something about Nancy. Specifically, he accidentally does a slip and mentions her breasts. Yes. Yeah, he says, like, I want to put my face in those breasts. Yes, he's just so in taken In the middle of talking about cochlear implants. So then the two of them run off and start making out and talking to each other about, like, it's kind of funny because they're, like, starting to take off their clothes and being like, hello, my name is Nancy so-and-so. Like, they have not even introduced themselves before this point. So as somebody in the medical profession, is this common at medical conferences? I've never been to a conference, but I'm going to one next week so I'll let you know. I'm sorry, by the time this episode has come out, you have been to a conference, so tell me, is it common? Oh, you're right, you're right. Um, No comment. That's the most interesting (laughs) answer. I think that while you're there, Maura, you need to record yourself giving thoughts about medical conferences as depicted in Step Brothers and send it to Will. (laughs) I'll let you know. So anyway, at one point when they are sharing facts about themselves. As stripping each other. Yes. Robert mentions, I have a 40-year-old son. He still lives at home with me. And Nancy just freezes. And he's like, oh my God, I knew I shouldn't have said that. And she's like, I have a 39-year-old son who also lives at home with me. And then right after that, it cuts to point two where they are married and it was like that's all it took all right so point number two my other son Brennan, uh was going to be moving into his own place but um he was recently let go from his job at PetSmart, so he is gonna be living with us so we point- take care of all of this like within the opening credits yeah, yeah it's it, all very fast i will say stepbrothers the title shows up fairly late for a movie. Sure. Mm-hmm. So in point two, Nancy and Robert get married. And I think it's kind of 
of weird at their wedding for some reason. They feel the need to share that both of their sons are still living with them. Like they have this whole speech where they're like, oh, Brennan just got fired from his job at PetSmart. And so he's going to be moving in with us. And like, we're all four of us going to live together. And I was like, why was that necessary? Well, it's clear that this happened really quickly because Adam Scott is not able to get there. And when he does arrive, it's clear that he has not met Richard Jenkins yet. That's true. And also Brennan and Dale also have not met until they move in together after the wedding. So I think this is like a matter of weeks. Yes. At the longest. And so I don't think a lot of prep has gone into this and they're just kind of riffing. They're like, oh yeah, my, my other son isn't here. He had to be out. But my son, uh, Brennan, he's here. Like he got fired from Petsmart so he can make it. It's totally fine. I also just thought it was crazy that she was like, oh yeah, Derek couldn't be here because he had a very important fishing trip. And was I was like, Chris a fishing trip is the reason you're skipping your mom's wedding? If you get a fishing trip with the winner of American Idol. Oh wait, he didn't win. He was like fifth or something. <laughs> I think he was like fourth. Yeah, he was one of the lowest ranked successful idlers, I'd say. Yeah, but you know what? That season was won by Taylor Hicks, who has rocked the culture ever since. (laughs) Soul Patrol, my dude. Soul Patrol. Yeah, I agree with Will that part of that is supposed to show you how terrible of a person Derek is, but I do think part of it is also that this is happening so fast. That's fair. So Nancy and Brennan move in with Robert and Dale, and Robert and Dale do not get along. They are literal monsters. I do want to note that they have a conflict the first night at dinner because Brennan doesn't want to share his fancy sauce, which is ketchup and mayonnaise mixed together, which you can now buy in a bottle. Mayo chup. Heinz, is that what it's called? Heinz sells mayo chup. That's a disgusting name. It is. I think ketronaise is better. Ooh, that sounds fancy. That sounds like fancy sauce. Yeah. yeah. I don't know why they went with mayo chup. Because they know it's a joke. Yeah. It's something that they're in on. But it's still ketronaise sounds Remember great. when they did the different colored ketchups? Yeah. yeah like green. And purple. purple. Yeah. I think what? there was orange or brown or something. I think we gave my cousin a bottle of like purple ketchup for her birthday one year. Because she was really into ketchup. She put yeah. it on everything. Yeah. That year, we were not the only people to give her colored ketchup. Yeah. That says a lot about that person. But the thing is, now I don't think about her as this like ketchup loving person. It must have just been a phase. And no. she got like all these bottles of ketchup and maybe that's what turned her off of it. You know who that the ketchup person wanted, is now. That she now wanted real gifts. You know who the ketchup person is now. Fifi Fierce? It's Fifi Fierce, who, when she, say, like, goes to a fast food place and she has her, like, tub of nuggets, she'll have the nugs on one side and she'll fill the other half of the tub with ketchup. She always needs to start ordering extra ketchup at the start of her orders instead of having to go up halfway through asking for more. Sometimes multiple times. (laughs) She has gone up and asked for two extra things of ketchup in the middle of one plate of fries that I have seen. Anyway, Brennan and Dale. Yeah, so they just get into these huge fights where at one point, so Dale has this drum set and he tells Brennan, like, the one rule of this house is you can never touch my drum set. And Brennan does, and Dale notices because the drumstick is chipped or something, and he lies about it. And Dale's like, I know you did it. I know you're lying. And they get into this huge fight. They're, like, pushing each other down the stairs, like, running into walls. They eventually end up, like, in the middle of the yard, like, hitting each other with golf clubs. Nancy is there, and she's spraying them with the hose and all the neighborhood is around. The neighborhood dogs are all involved somehow. Well, there's the blind neighbor whose seeing eye dog is a menace. Yeah. Yeah. 
People really need to train their dogs in this world. Yeah. So Nancy has to call Robert and pull him away from work to get him to come help. And the troubled relationship between Dale and Brennan adds a lot of stress to Nancy and Robert's marriage. Right, because Robert wants them out. Right. Right. Because they are 40-year-old men. Right. The scene where he leaves the hospital and the doctor says to the nurse like huh what a life that guy leads and she just goes i don't talk about people's personal lives behind their back is so random i don't think is that, that was accurate? in the version i saw well at the hospital yeah would you refuse to talk about somebody's personal life if they left because their adult son was fighting their adult stepson no we would definitely talk about it see this is why we need to have you on the show yeah I, we talk about each other's personal lives all the time at work well i will say the doctor's response to the nurse saying that is you know no one likes you right <laughs> <laughs> the other night at work, it was kind of slow, and we just sat around with one of the doctors for like an hour at least, just chatting about our personal lives. Wow, like, so this movie is really falling down in the believability category for medical stuff. Yeah, I guess so. But it's no the fly. I do have to ask, in that hour, was there a lot of steamy tension? Because that's what Grey's Anatomy has led me to believe. Oh, definitely not. Everybody in the conversation was a woman, and none of us are lesbians, so it was not steamy at all. Ugh, that's a waste. Hospitals are supposed to be just hotbeds of crime and sex based on TV shows. Like, 90% of the doctors are women, and almost 100% of the nurses are women, so there's not really a lot of that. So what's going on in Step Brothers? (laughs) Okay, so... Robert has this boat and he is talking to Nancy and he there at one day all four of them are out on the boat and he's talking to Nancy and he's like wouldn't it be great if we just retired we could just travel on this boat it would be great he's like up in bed at night like oh here's a little island we can travel to after we leave New Zealand yeah he's planning it all out this is his life's dream no 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 it's our dream that's what he keeps insisting it's our dream so they announce to Brennan and Dale like hey We're going to sell the house. We're retiring. We're going to go travel on this boat. So you both need to find jobs and we'll give you some money for a down payment on an apartment. And Robert's like, I've sent up some interviews for you and you need to go. And I was like, why is he setting up interviews for these two 40-year-old men who could easily do it themselves? But it just shows the level of desperation he has where he's like, this will not happen unless I set it up for them. Anyway, they have this great plan. They're going to retire. They're going to go travel. It's great. But then in point three, Brennan and Dale become friends because they bond over their hatred of Derek, who is Brennan's younger brother. Played by Adam Scott, who is married to show favorite Catherine Hahn. What's going on? It's over. I'm going to be moving in with my friend, Jack Handel, and Nancy found a townhouse in the city. What, what is this? What, what's happening? What Robert is trying to say is that we are getting a divorce. And so Brennan and Dale come up with this new business model, the, what is it called? Prestige Worldwide. Prestige Worldwide. AKA Entertainment 720. And they want to have a music video to try and like launch their campaign to get investors. The aforementioned Boats and Hoes. And so when they play this music video, the video takes place on Robert's boat. And at the end of the video, they have crashed Robert's boat. And he is furious with them because he's saying they ruined his dream. And Nancy during this whole thing is like, oh, well, you know, they showed a lot of enthusiasm in this business venture. You know, we need to kind of like, you know, I'm excited you finally have an aim for your life, basically. And Robert is like, no, you need to stop making excuses for them. We need to take control of the situation. And then Robert just kind of like 
loses it and becomes depressed and everything. In one of my favorite moments at one point on Christmas Eve, he just storms away and is like, I'm going to go to Cheesecake Factory for a drink. And I was like- That's after the sleepwalking incident, right? Yeah. So Brennan and Dale are sleepwalkers. And when they- like violent sleepwalkers. They will sleepwalk and they'll put like pillows in the oven and Nancy's purse in the freezer. And they literally just pull all this food out of the fridge, smear it all over their faces, drop it on the floor. Nancy and Robert come down in the morning and the kitchen floor is covered in food trash. Medically. Is that what sleepwalking is like, Maura? I had a coworker who used to eat in her sleep and she said she would wake up in the morning and she had eaten like a whole cake. I had a friend in middle school who claimed one time that he woke up sitting in his kitchen halfway through peeling an orange. (laughs) Now, medically, what's the consensus on whether you should wake a sleepwalker? And if you do, will they punch you repeatedly? I actually was kind of thinking about that while watching the movie, because I have heard people say before that you're not supposed to wake up sleepwalkers, and I just assume it's because they would be kind of disoriented and stuff. And they might fall over. Nancy was very like set like you should not at all wake them up and they are like creating a complete mess they pull the christmas tree up the stairs and throw it on their bed like it's kind of it funny is a disaster yeah. and, <laughs> the presents out of and robert is like we need to take control of the situation i'm waking them up and she is like under no circumstances <laughs> should you screaming. wake them up and i was like okay i don't think it's this serious of a thing that you should not wake them up in this circumstance that's a pretty funny scene <laughs> yeah because then when he does wake them up they immediately start punching him and throw, him, throw down him down the stairs, stairs. <laughs> honestly i understand why he loses it and says we need to take control of the situation so by now has katherine hahn started yes has katherine hahn become infatuated well, with john c Riley? yes i think so yeah, that was that the first time the first time yeah so the night that derek and alice katherine hahn and adam scott show up for the first time uh-huh is the night that Dale punches Derek. Yeah, Dale and Brennan go to hide in Brennan's treehouse. Right. Yeah. And so he punches Derek and then Derek falls out the door of the treehouse. And later as they're leaving, Alice corners Dale and is like, I hear you punch Derek. I'm going to think about that while I'm masturbating tonight. Yeah. Yeah, she, she says she wants to ball him up and put him inside her vagina. <laughs> yeah. And then she kisses him and it is the most awkward thing I have probably ever had to watch in my entire it's life. Such a funny kiss though. <laughs> it's such a funny miserable. kiss. It's so perfectly miserable it's in my so opinion. Bad. And she's murmuring, I hate my life. I love you. Catherine Hahn is turning in a very bizarre and very entertaining performance in this movie because it is so out there. Yeah. And also at the dinner where they play the, their music knows. video, yeah, she goes into the men's bathroom, sees Dale, and is like, oh, it's our anniversary. Like, it's our second date. And he's like, <laughs> what? And she basically, like, forces herself on him, and they have sex there in the bathroom. And then she pees in the urinal. It's, like, all very bizarre. But she's clearly very unhappy in her marriage. Yes. Which is fair because Derek is terrible. He's awful. And he heckles her while she sings Sweet Child of Mine. Yeah. You're flat. So anyway, Robert reaches a breaking point. He cannot deal with this anymore. And so he and Nancy- There's not enough alcohol at the Cheesecake Factory to make things right now. (laughs) I love the line, you reek of scotch and cheesecake. (laughs) And then he's like- Do they sell scotch at the Cheesecake Factory? I don't know. She may have said bourbon and cheesecake. I've never been to a Cheesecake Factory. I think a Cheesecake Factory is kind of 
a little bit of Chili's and they offer cheap alcohol as incentive to buy their overpriced food. I just thought it was so funny when he was like, tonight at the Cheesecake Factory is the happiest I've been in months. And I was like, honestly, at first I thought it was weird that he was going to drink away his sorrows at the Cheesecake Factory. But then I thought, not only do you get to drink, but you get cheesecake too. And what could be better than having cheesecake when you're sad? I think I know Mora's dating advice. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So if Mora's ever in a very severe spiral, we know where to find her. So anyway, Nancy and Robert decide to get divorced. They can't make it work. The boat, their future together has been destroyed and Brendan and Dale are impossible. They also failed all the job interviews because they decided to interview as a team. Yeah, and they showed up. Uh, Robert was like, take any clothes out of my closet. You guys need to look sharp. You need to nail this. So they take his tuxedos and they both show up in tuxes and sneakers. They almost get hired by Seth Rogen. Yeah, And then Dale has like a really long, loud fart, and that's the end of it. Which is also kind of funny. (laughs) So It goes on for just the right amount of time. Yeah. And one of the jobs they're applying for is to be like cleaning men, and the woman is like, why did you show up wearing tuxes for a job where you would be cleaning bathrooms? The Pam. Pam. That's Pam, right? (laughs) Is it Pan with two ends? Pam. There's a D. Like calm. Pan. (laughs) Okay, so, yeah, they decide to get divorced, and Brennan and Dale are really upset about this because they have become friends and don't want to not live together anymore and also, like, don't even know how to begin finding a place to live and, like, finding jobs. And so... Derek is going to be selling the house, and every time he brings by a new couple, they try and sabotage this so that he can't sell it. There's the one time when Brennan has Dale on the floor, like, wrapped in a blanket, and he's like, he's only been dead one day! (laughs) I think he's wrapped in, like, a shower curtain. I think he's supposed to have suffocated. His face has, like, light blue makeup on it, so it looks like he's literally, like, been suffocated. Okay, so then, in point four... Brennan and Dale finally get jobs and live on their own. They've kind of lost touch with each other. I don't remember what their falling out was. Well, no, it's the parents get divorced. They blame each other for the divorce. Yeah, they each say it's each other's fault and they get in a big fight and are no longer speaking to each other. And so they get jobs. They live on their own. Dale is working as a temp for like a catering company and Brennan gets hired by Derek's company and his job is to organize the Catalina wine mixer. I'm sorry, what now? The Catalina wine mixer. (laughs) I could just insert a beep into that audio. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, so the Catalina wine mixer rolls around. Nancy and Robert run into each other there because both of their sons are working at the event because Dale's catering company has been hired to do the food for it. And it becomes very clear to Robert that the whole point of this event, it has all been orchestrated to try and get Robert and Nancy back together. But it's also been very successfully organized, except for the band. Right. Which is a band that does 80s Billy Joel covers. Yeah. So everyone is yelling. Actually, it's Matt Walsh. Right. Yeah. Is yelling for Piano Man and anything off the the stranger. Yeah. And Horatio Sands, who plays the lead singer, freaks out and storms out. Yeah. 
So then Dale and Robert and Brennan are all talking and Robert is really kind of sad because he realized that Dale and Brennan are actually trying to be responsible adults and this really throws him for a loop and he sees that they don't really seem happy anymore and he's like, you know what? There's a drum set up there and there's a microphone and you're a drummer, Dale, and you're a singer, Brennan, and I think you guys should go up there and fix it. So they do and Brennan starts singing Time to Say Goodbye while Dale is playing the drums for it and honestly, compared to Brennan singing earlier in the movie, this is better. I do have to say that. Yeah, it's funny. Yeah. So while they're singing and performing this, everybody is just like falling in love. Like Robert is remembering the first moment he laid eyes on Nancy and the two of them start dancing. And Alice is having some fantasy about her and Dale. And then Brennan's therapist shows up and starts having a fantasy about her and Brennan. And then Derek has a memory of him and Brennan as children back when they were actually friends and liked each other. And it's this music just has a magical effect on everyone. I was just looking at my notes and I forgot that when Dale and Alice have sex on Christmas, she's singing God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen. That was not in the version I watched. Oh, that was in the version I watched. In the version I watched, she arranges her peas and carrots on the plate to say, like, me right now or something like that. Yeah. And uses her engagement ring as the O in now, which was just an interesting touch. But then you never actually see them have sex. Oh, we see oh. it many times. Oh, yep. okay. That is probably... We found at it. At least three minutes of the eight minutes. Um, yeah. Okay. So that, that takes us to point number five? Yeah. Brennan, I thought you were incredibly brave. And I mean that in strictly the most clinical and professional sense possible with no emotional, intimate, sexual, or any other undertones that you could possibly infer. So in point five, six months later, Nancy and Robert are back together and everybody pretty much is happy. They're having a big family dinner. Brennan and his therapist are dating now. And it's kind of funny because earlier in the movie, Robert is like a huge fan of Derek and just laughs at all of his stories and constantly wants to chat with him and everything. And now- Uh, At one point, he tells Derek that he gets excited when he's having sex with Nancy because he is where Derek came from. That's creepy. So now at the end of the movie- Derek is trying to tell some story and Robert is just like, Derek, Derek, please just be quiet. And then he only wants to talk to Brennan and Dale. So it's like since this Catalina wine mixer, Brennan and Dale are like his biggest, you know. His favorite boys. His most favorite. And now they run a karaoke place for only good singers. Yes. That's really what karaoke has been missing. He also tells them that he has a surprise for them. And it seems that Dale and Brennan are now living back at home with Robert and Nancy, which I don't know why that needed to happen. They could have still lived in their own apartments. No, that's clearly how they want to live. But anyway, he brings them out to the backyard and he has taken his boat that they destroyed and added it to their old treehouse. So they now have like a boat treehouse. With pirate toys inside. Yeah. And hustler magazines. Yes. So at the end, I think really everybody is happy except Alice and Derek probably because at the Catalina wine mixer, Dale tells Alice that she's married and it needs to end. And instead of divorcing her husband, Alice decides to stay for some reason. Yeah. With so, their terrible and children. <laughs> so uh, what do we think? Is the romance of stepbrothers believable? Can we go with the no, no. on that one? You don't think so, more? No, I do not. Why not? I think their divorce is realistic. (laughs) Because I would go crazy if someone were making that many excuses for their grown child who lived with them. He's only 39. It is insane. So every week we rate the romance of the movie we're discussing on a 10 point scale where zero is totally unbelievable. 10 means we believe all of the romantic elements. 
where do you put stepbrothers? You've already said you believe part of it. That's true. Maybe like a two? I do think, honestly, it makes sense for these characters who are both previously married, I think, on their own, share even this one similarity. I do really think the fact that they both have these grown sons who are, you know, kind of don't have much going for them, that still live with them, I do think that could be like a commonality that would maybe bring them together. They probably yeah. get together too fast. Yeah. Yeah. But even that, I find, like, the movie implies that it is far too fast, but I do find them moving fast to be believable. Sure. But at the same time, it's also all so unbelievable. I was and thinking, we have to put the other romances into this, too, like yeah. with Alice and Dale. Which is, frankly, just designed to be as ridiculous as possible. Right. right. So, Mora, where do you put this on our 10-point scale? I'm thinking maybe, like, a two. Yeah. I'm good with that. I'm good with that, too. Yeah. Sure. Um, Do you think... Any of these romantic characters is dateable. Absolutely, Absolutely not. not. This not is maybe a our single one. Least dateable movie we've ever done. Yeah. Which is fun because Mora, now you get to tell us which character from the film Step Brothers you would most want to date. I was thinking about that earlier, and I honestly do not think there is a single one. Like I can't even think of you a have side to pick character someone. that I would want to date. You have to pick someone. Can I wait for Derek's son to grow up? He was a good singer. He's clearly a jerk. You think so? I feel like he just doesn't really, other than his singing, he's not really even in the movie. No, he's clearly supposed to be uppity and also kind of gay. Okay, fair. I don't know. There's like literally no one in this movie I want to date. Will. Maybe the blind man with the seeing eye dog. You don't want to live with that dog. I hate dogs. That's true. I couldn't do that. And this is a mean dog. Do you have someone in mind, Will? Yeah, I want to date Seth Rogen. He seems fun and chill. He owns a business. And he is good with a joke until someone does the most insane fart that's ever happened. If I had to pick, maybe I would pick the therapist. Okay, sure. Yeah. I love Andrea Savage. She's great. I feel like Pam seemed like a normal person until they broke her brain. Oh, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> that's true. She does seem pretty normal. Okay. So do we think that Richard Jenkins and Mary Steenburgen would stay together? I actually do think so. I think so. I mean, at this point. I think they're so broken. They've, they've survived like, the craziest thing that's going to happen to them. I was going to say, they've already kind of like gone through the craziness of dealing with their sons and come out on the other side. Like, I think at this point, they're in it. Last question. This has happened to a great many movies that we have covered. Should the 2008 film Step Brothers be made into a stage musical? Absolutely not. Why not? We the, don't need this to be any longer. This movie does it's not- It's not even that long, but we don't need it to be longer. This movie exists purely in 2008 and cannot exist outside the context of the film. So. No. Please no. tell. Oh, God. There are no plans to make a stage musical. However, in 2011, Adam McKay announced production on a rap album featuring Will Ferrell and John C. Riley in character. To date, that has not materialized. Thank God. Thank God. God. <laughs> There is occasionally noise about a sequel. All three of them have talked about it. They've all kind of made noise about there being a story or at least like an outline of something. But they also talk pretty absolutely like this is not a thing we plan to do. I feel like Holmes and Watson will probably have put a death nail in that too. I would say the difference with Holmes and Watson is that that's an E10 Cohen movie, which yeah. is its own pile of crap. Yeah, I feel like the culture's desire for more John C. Riley, Will Ferrell movies has diminished with time. Maybe. I think there'll be an audience for that as long as there is, like, something decent about it. Yeah, that's true. There has to at least be some redeeming quality. Yeah, so Holmes and Watson is just its own thing. Yeah. 
Any last thoughts on the 2008 film Step Brothers? See, Maura, you said there was nothing medical about this movie, but we had a lot of medical stuff to talk about. You're right. I stand corrected. Yeah. You should stop being so hostile to our descriptions. (laughs) You need to be less of our most hostile guests. Stop being one of the hostiles. At this point, it's just like... You've given me the name and I'm just trying to live up to it. You know, I don't think I can convince you at this point that I'm not your most hostile guest. So I figured I may as well just lean into it. See, that is the opposite of Fiona's tactic, (laughs) which has clearly been so successful. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that about does it for our discussion of Step Brothers. Next week, we will be discussing the 2000 film Charlie's Angels, starring Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and Lucy Liu. Boy, howdy, is that a movie? I have not seen it in a very long time yeah so this weekend you can go see the new charlie's angels directed by elizabeth banks and then on monday we'll be here to tell you about the old one that is hopefully worse i feel like it probably can't get much worse than 2000 yeah except for the second one which i have not seen me neither but i heard it's less fun if you know tweet at us let us know your charlie's angels rankings uh with Hashtag Charlie's Rankjels. That's a gross sounding word. <laughs> I hate that word so much. Again, it is hashtag Charlie's Rankjels. <laughs> Please eliminate that word from your vocabulary. <laughs> Until then. That's a hostile statement. <laughs> <laughs> Until then, you can follow the show on Facebook and Twitter at Love the Love Pod. And you can always email us questions or movie suggestions at lovethelovepod at gmail.com. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe. Ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts especially really help other people to find the show. All right. What is the best piece of dating advice you got from this movie, Maura? My actual dating advice from the movie is to not date people with 40-year-old children that they just constantly make excuses for. But I know Will really doesn't like our advice being don't do this. So you could just get me some good cheesecake and I would be happy. I hate to say this and I hate to do a don't on this show, especially with Mora having just called out my displeasure, but between Elf, The Proposal, and Step Brothers, Mary Steenburgen has three bad marriages that we've covered. So I think don't date Mary Steenburgen, as hard Ooh. as that is to hear. But she has such a good marriage in book club. Yeah, but we haven't covered that. That's too much romance. You know, in all of those movies, though... It's always the dude. But maybe not, well, like maybe not in the proposal, but this is always her second marriage also. That is a good point. In this and Elf. We don't know if it's her second marriage in Elf. That's true. It could be her first. And I don't, I don't think Walter was married to Yeah, I don't even know mom. if it's his second marriage. I guess that's true. I truly cannot think of anything. I do want to make the disclaimer, don't date your therapist. Okay. Yeah. And I might just leave it at that because this movie has no good examples at all. And with that, until next time, I'm gay. And I'm a ginger. And I'm hostile. So between the three (laughs) of us, we know everything there is to know about romance. Bye. Bye. She's got a smile that it seems to me Reminds me of childhood memories Where everything was as fresh as a bright blue sky All right, Tommy, you're the oldest. I'm counting on you. Come on. She's got eyes of the bluest skies as if they thought of rain. I hate to look into those eyes and see oh, oh. Nice vibrato, buddy. All right, all right, Alice, let's go. Reminds me of a warm, safe place. Flat. It's so flat. I can't even, I don't even know. You don't even look good while you're singing. The worst thing I've ever heard. This is $1,200 a week for voice lessons, and this is what I get? Okay, I'm going to save it with the solo. Bow, bow, I'm dead. I can sing high like this.